Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, during the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, Pastor Neil Effa speaks on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, in a standalone message titled, Thriving in Persecution. The statistics regarding the persecution of the church are staggering. Recently, the organization Christianity Today reported on their website that more Christians have been killed for their faith over the past 100 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined. They go on to say that every five minutes, a Christian is martyred for their faith. Today, because of their beliefs, more than 215 million Christians face high levels of persecution in places hostile to Christianity. Our brothers and sisters in Christ face various forms of mistreatment, worship restrictions, public humiliation, social marginalization and isolation, slander, loss of opportunity, violence, vandalism too, or burning of church buildings and personal property, and death. Most of us have never experienced that kind of hate, and certainly not for our beliefs. Concerning persecution, the mission organization Open Doors writes, each month, 322 Christians are killed, 214 churches are destroyed, and 722 acts of violence are committed against Christians. All over the world, people who choose to follow Christ face a great cost. Consider more specifically the country of North Korea. It is number one on the world watch list of countries that persecute Christians. Picture a professional stadium filled to capacity. That's roughly the number of Christians in labor camps in North Korea. Their crime? Believing in Jesus. Christian fellowship looks much different in North Korea. There can be no worship services. There can be no gatherings. And yet Open Doors estimates there are 300,000 believers in North Korea. They're worshiping God wherever and however they can. They are ready to preach the gospel. They are continuing to follow God no matter the cost. This morning on this day set aside to pray for the persecuted church, I would have us consider, first of all, the reasons for persecution and then the realities concerning persecution and conclude with some responses to those that are experiencing harsh treatment because of their faith in Christ. There are many reasons why Christians are mistreated and misrepresented and maligned. Anyone who suffers for Christ's sake fall victim to affliction for reasons similar to why Jesus suffered. Jesus was not persecuted and and brought to the cross for arbitrary reasons, mere misunderstandings, or unfortunate accidents. Instead, his sufferings resulted logically and unavoidably out of the very center of his message and his life. Jesus' word and work led him into suffering, and suffering itself is an inseparable part of his message and work. And so in the very same way, we share in his sufferings because we carry out his life and his message. Well, there are theological reasons. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 30, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Consider the life of Jesus. The very message of Jesus invited persecution from the religious teachers of his day. 
While he himself had insisted that he had not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, there was no mistaking that he saw himself as equal to God. And his teaching had authority, meaning that he spoke on his own behalf instead of teaching as was common in his day by relying on rabbinical teaching and authority. And then there's Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was arrested on the charges of blasphemy and was killed because his teaching collided with the theological teachings of the Pharisees. Paul, who later became Saul, was entirely motivated by theological reasons to persecute the church. He saw Christianity and the teachings of Jesus as a direct threat to the pillars of Judaism. And it would appear that the book of Hebrews is written to Christians who were undergoing persecution for primarily theological reasons. They were tempted, we read, to give up their faith and return to their former Jewish faith. And therefore, the author encouraged them to stand firm in their faith and commitment to Christ and the sufficiency of his once-for-all sacrifice. And to this very day, Christians are persecuted throughout the world for their beliefs. But there's also political reasons. Jesus was not crucified by the Jews, but by the Romans. And although the Jews had theological reissues with Jesus, the Romans didn't. Rather, the Romans crucified Jesus on the trumped-up charges of sedition, of stirring up trouble, of disturbing the peace. In other words, Jesus' early Christians were persecuted because they were perceived to be rebels, refusing to acknowledge any other authority as equal or superior to God. The confession that Jesus was Lord was a direct challenge to the sovereignty of Caesar and ultimately to the Roman state. To have members of their society declare ultimate allegiance to another king was unacceptable to the Roman authorities who insisted that Rome must be made preeminent. To this day, Christians continue to suffer persecution because they are perceived as a threat to national security and national stability. During his earthly ministry, Jesus had warned his disciples that they would run into trouble with political authorities. For example, in Mark chapter 13, verse 9, we read, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. One of the things that is worth noting is that for the early church, as it was for Jesus, theological reasons often started persecution, but political reasons were needed to sustain it. Although the state is to restrain, restrain wickedness, Scripture recognizes that it can also be the perpetrator of wickedness. In other words, the state can protect its citizens from suffering, but it can also be the cause of it as well. And so early in the church's history, it had to make the choice as to whether or not it would be, obey God or obey man. But there were also economic reasons for persecution. In the New Testament, Christians were persecuted because they had an adverse effect on the economy. Acts chapter 19 records a riot that took place on Paul's second missionary journey in the city of Ephesus. As people heard the gospel and turned away from their pagan practices, they burned all of the items that they had in their possession that were associated with those pagan practices. And listen to what follows. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, in other words, concerning those who are followers of Jesus. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. 
And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And then he says, and there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute. In other words, there is that danger that we will suffer economically because of this. People, because people in the city of Ephesus turned away from pagan practices, it had an adverse impact on the economy, which resulted in that riot. Today, there is a similar reaction to the gospel. Mafia bosses, drug lords, a cartel or terrorist organization often perceive Christianity as a threat to the economic climate that benefits them. And the result is persecution. And then we need to consider the social reasons for persecution. Christians suffer because they are different from the rest of society or perceived to be different from the rest of society. Societies rarely welcome those who are perceived to be different. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Because a follower of Jesus is no longer of this world, and because they reject conformity to this world, the world hates them. The mission of the church is to reconcile the world to God through Jesus Christ. That is what we have been called to do. Yet the church and Christians also stand in opposition to the world because the powers of sin and adultery oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we are different, Scripture says we will be defamed and we will be viewed with suspicion. Modern-day examples are numerous. In the former Soviet Union, Baptists were accused of being cannibals, of child killers, immoral, lazy, uneducated, and not good citizens. But the Bible not only gives us the reasons for persecution, it goes on to give us some realities concerning persecution. And the first is that we will face persecution. While imprisoned and awaiting execution, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul doesn't say that some will be persecuted or a few will be persecuted. He doesn't say that those who live in the Middle East will be persecuted or those who live in Asia will be persecuted. He says all, and he means it. In other words, everyone who publicly lives as a committed Christian will face some kind of resistance from the world. And rather than seeing persecution as abnormal, a tragedy, or a misfortune, it is seen in the New Testament as a logical result of following the suffering Christ. Now, this verse ought to recalibrate our expectations. We should be surprised when we don't face persecution, not when we do, because God's word promises that at times we will. Now, that doesn't make experiencing opposition easier, but at least we can be prepared for it. I think what is helpful is to read and study scripture through the lens of persecution and suffering, because the thread of persecution and suffering is woven throughout scripture. For example, the Israelites were oppressed people under the dominant rule of Egypt and Babylon and Assyria. Jesus' parents were refugees forced to flee due to religious oppression. 
Jesus was killed for his religious beliefs. Almost all of the 12 disciples were martyred. Paul made sure Christians were persecuted, arrested, and killed. And then Paul had a long resume of persecution he suffered because of his faith after becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the way. Paul's letters to house churches scattered throughout Asia Minor were intended to encourage them in their faith to stay strong in the midst of opposition, oppression, persecution, and suffering. Paul, writing from prison, asked Christians elsewhere to remember him in his chains. And the book of Hebrews records that hall of faith in chapter 11. Several people died because of their trust in God. God's word shows us that persecution has been a part of his story throughout history. If you look at scripture, it's written largely by persecuted believers, written for persecuted believers, and written to give instruction on how to walk with God in often unthinkable situations. When we see the number of stories and instructions related to persecution, we will soon realize that persecution is the norm. But the Bible also reminds us that there is blessing in persecution. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus encouraged his disciples with these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In effect, Jesus is saying that the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we must endure in the service of Christ. Those who endure opposition in this world can be comforted by the fact that they belong to the world that is yet to come. And there is a mystery here, the mystery of joy in the midst of agony, the mystery of gladness in the midst of misery and groaning. And this mystery is contained in a miracle, namely the miracle of faith, the bedrock assurance that heaven is a hundredfold compensation for every pain we encounter on earth. But there's one caveat here regarding this blessing, and that is for persecution for righteousness' sake. Unfortunately, some Christians have acted obnoxiously, have been confronted about it, and then they've called it persecution. That's not what Paul is talking about, or what Jesus is talking about here. There's another reality, and it's this, that God manifests his strength to those facing persecution. The Corinthian believers were looking down on Paul's per persecution as a sign that God's blessing was not upon his ministry and that he was not an apostle that should be followed. But Paul corrected their thinking by telling them, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul described his weaknesses by using four words, insults. When people think of clever ways of making your faith or your lifestyle or your words look stupid or weird or inconsistent. Hardships. Circumstances forced upon you. Reversals of fortune against your will. I mean, this could refer to any situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan it or think it would be this way, but there you are, and you're in a hard situation because of your faith. Persecutions, wounds, or abuses, or painful circumstances, or acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith or your Christian moral commitments. It's when you feel that you are not being treated fairly, or you are getting a raw deal. And then calamities, distresses, difficulties, troubles. 
The idea is one of a pressure or crushing or, or being weighed down. Circumstances that tend to overcome you with stress and tension and pressure. Weaknesses in our circumstances and situations and experiences and wounds that make us look weak. Things we would probably get rid of if we had the human strength to do so. But in reality, we don't usually have that kind of human strength. And even if we did have it, Christians don't use it the way the world does. Jesus tells us not to return evil for evil. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we conciliate. And then he added, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. In other words, this kind of lifestyle this kind of response to abuse looks weak and beggarly and feeble and anemic and inept. At least it looks that way to those who thrive and pride and use human power to humiliate others. The ultimate purpose of God in our weakness is to glorify the kind of power that moved Christ to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. Paul said that Christ crucified was foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who are called, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, the deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief, but the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of God's great purpose. The glorification of His grace and His power through His Son. The grace and power that bore Christ to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. That's what God is building into our lives. That is the meaning of weakness, the meaning of insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. We get the strength to endure when we trust that God will be faithful to us no matter what. No matter what. And then finally, God will vindicate those who are persecuted. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Paul is saying, that the evil which seems to have the upper hand now will be brought to ruin. The tables will be turned now and those persecuting believers will one day be judged. There is a grave injustice happening when evil men persecute Christians, just like there was when evil men crucified Jesus Christ. And yet God was in charge there and he is in charge here and he will show that his own design in all this is just. Because when all is said and done, the afflictor will become the afflicted, and justice will be ex exacted upon those who do not believe. Therefore, those who suffer will one day be vindicated and given rest and joy at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul means for us to learn these things about God and suffering in the second coming, so that when we suffer for his sake, our faith in his power and grace will grow stronger and our love for each other will grow deeper. Everything he is teaching us here is just the kind of thing we need to know for our faith and, and for our love to flourish in the midst of affliction. 
And so we've looked at some reasons for persecution. We've looked at some of the realities concerning persecution. But let's conclude by talking briefly about responses to those being persecuted. The first thing, the priority, is to pray. We pray for our persecuted family to stand strong in the faith. And the prayer guide in the bulletin gives you a few ideas as to how to pray. And so I would encourage you this week to follow along in that prayer guide. But I want you to remember that we are family. This is what the Bible paints for us in the New Testament, that when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we are brought into the family of God. And when one person suffers, we all suffer together. And so we need to develop a heart of, of passion, a heart of compassion for the persecuted believers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one way we do that is through pray. prayer. We pray passionately for them and deeply for them. But we also stay up to date on news about suffering believers. In so doing, we can keep our prayers current. And there are so many reputable organizations that you can consult, like the Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors International, Release International, just, a, just to name a few. But if you go to those websites, they will keep you current in terms of what is happening in other countries where persecution is, is so intense. And just to say here that, uh, to inform you that in the Cameroon, the uh, intensity and, and, and is increasing once again. And there is a fear that uh, Christians will be persecuted to a greater degree than they are now. In fact, the report was one U.S. missionary was just recently killed in the Cameroon. And so we need to be informed so, and stay up to date so that we can pray more intelligently. But we also need to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And again, you may ask, how can I do this? Well, again, I would encourage you to go to the websites of these uh, various organizations. They have ways in which to put you in touch with uh, brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world and uh, a way, ways in which you can encourage. And then, of course, give financially to help support our persecuted families. One of the uh, prayer requests you will see in the bulletin is to pray that individuals may have Bibles. And there are organizations that are seeking to get Bibles into these countries uh, to help those who are being persecuted for their faith. When we think of the persecuted church, we might think of a church in hiding, a church in desperation, a church on the run, a church being squeezed and crushed to the point of extinction. But I think that we need to take a different perspective. I think we need to see the persecuted church standing on God's word, living to please God, counting on God's promises, working for God's kingdom. Persecution reminds us of the truth of the gospel. Following God has never been about us. It has always been about him, about declaring his glory and extending his grace. And as the church in the around the world that is being persecuted seeks to do this, we need to uphold them in prayer. Yes, around the world, we see church buildings burned to the ground. We hear of our sisters and brothers hassled and cast aside, jailed, beaten, and even killed. But in the same stories, we hear hope, the hope of God's goodness and of miraculous love and action. We hear about radical love and a faith that won't die. And so the challenge for us, for each of us, as we live in the security of peace, 
is to follow the example of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would have a deep passion to know God and a deep desire to express that love to those who do not know him yet and those within his family, the church. Would you please bow as I pray? Heavenly Father, again, we just present to you the needs of our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot fathom what they face day after day. The menial tasks that they are called to undertake because of their faith. Father, the, the abuse, the oppression that comes upon them. The separation from family because of imprisonment. Father, we, we bring them before you today. We pray that through the power of your spirit, it would stand strong. We think of the words that we heard this morning from the video where the individual said that he counted it a privilege to endure suffering for the cause of Christ. And Father, may we also just have that same attitude that when we are maligned, when we face resistance because of our faith, that we would rejoice because we have been counted worthy to suffer for you. And so move within our hearts today, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church. Thank you.